Oh, I really want to see Tom with Handlebar. I think that would really suit cool. you actually quite well. I don't know. I don't know. I'll probably keep all the hair that I've got. So, like, you know, I it's it's that. Or if I do if I do start to lose the hair on top of my head, then I'll go for like you know full beard, like Viking beard. Just give it a go because it. Why not? <laughs> but I will say that's a backup plan. This I never intend for this to be an actual thing. You know, maybe it will be one day, but right now, no, we're not doing it. Reminds me of that bit in Outnumbered about like whether you'd have a like whether you'd rather be able to like like have have a female body get pregnant or have a male body grow a beard and and she's like, Well, I'd rather have a beard than a baby. You could just you just shave it off if you don't want it. You can't do that with a baby. Neither of them are very fun, that's the thing. Beards are not very nice to keep anyway. They're just very itchy. Yeah, can, I, can I choose not having either? Yeah, can I just be none? <laughs> can I just be me and not have either? The amount of times where like, I've gone out of the house, especially now that I've got a job where I do spend a lot of time in office, and I kind of just walk out of the house, I'm about 10 minutes away on the way to work, and I go, F- okay, I haven't shaved. I thought you were going to say that you're pregnant. Like, never, oh, ever, no. never, <laughs> <got pregnant>. never <laughs> grow a beard, never, ever get pregnant unless it's consensual. You know, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> consensual with who? The baby? <laughs> Everybody. Every party involved. Yeah, some really like nihilistic babies that aren't going to be happy about it. Even nihilism, it just means that nothing matters, but it only matters if you give it importance. But, you know, babies don't really understand that. It's probably why they come into this world crying. They know what <laughs> suffering they're entering. <laughs> babies don't really understand nihilism. I they don't know about it that. Partially. <laughs> How do you know? You don't remember it, man. You could have been a philosopher and then you were born and it was lost. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Unmuted, unmastered. I'm Will, and I'm back. Uh, today, I'm joined by James. Oh, hi, Jess. Hello, and Tom. Hello. On the show this week, we're going to be talking about music recommendation algorithms and if they're biased. We're going to be talking about good albums with terrible album artwork, and we've got some reviews. And the list of upcoming releases for you. But first, I want to know why everyone's been listening to you. But I'm going to go first this week because um, some of what I have to talk about is a bit sad. And I'd rather get it done at the beginning of the show. Um, This is kind of what I had for last week that I've carried over for this week because I wasn't here. Um, Oso Oso have released for free a live performance that they did back in December... It was at La Poisson Rouge, which is a live music venue in New York. Um, it was originally streamed on December the 6th on 
lpr.tv, which is the venue's live streaming service. Um, and last week it was released for free on YouTube, dedicate, dedicated to Tavish Maloney, uh, the band's former guitarist who died on March the 24th at the age of 24. Um, frontman Jade Lalitri shared a lengthy tribute to his longtime friend on social media. Um, I would recommend going and reading it. It's heartbreaking. Um, and basically every band or industry person who's ever met Tavish has posted um, tributes on their social media. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of been a moment of mourning for the whole uh, emo scene and like that kind of um, group. Um, so yeah, it comes out in really quite sad circumstances, but now I'm going to kind of put that to one side and focus, I guess, a bit on the actual performance. Um, it's great. I love Oso, so they're one of my favorite bands. So I saw them as my last gig before we ended up going into lockdown back in December of 2019, which feels like a long, long time ago now. And at the time, uh, I re remember telling people that Oso Oso sound like they're ready for much bigger venues than they were playing at the time. I saw them at the Louisiana in Bristol, which is basically like a little pub with a live room on top of it. It's very small, like a few hundred capacity at most. Um, but the way they sound, to me, makes me think of bands that I've seen like Death Cab for Cutie, who play the O2 in Bristol and other bigger venues. Um, their album, The Unihan Mixtape from 2017, is one of my all-time favourite albums. Basically, their sound is like... They take a lot from uh, kind of the power-pop side of the emo scene in the 90s with bands like The Promise Ring, but also from indie rock bands in the noughties like Death Cab and band of horses and bands like that and also they the lyrics are very much positive on the whole where a lot of that music can kind of particularly emo in the 90s can fall into lashing out at people and kind of not really being introspective at all um they take quite a conscious approach which i really like um and yeah i think they haven't released, as far as I can remember, like an extended live performance online um, that they've done in quite a while. So I feel like this really shows off like what they are now with songs from across their whole discography. So uh, there's stuff from their newest album, Basking in the Glow, which is also great, but is like it's a 9.9 .9, but then the Unihan mixtape pushes it down to that because the Unihan mixtape's only slightly better and I'd say that's like a 10 but who cares about the numbers really um it has stuff from their debut album there's nothing from their first EP but they seem to be like retconning that out of existence because I don't think you can actually get it anywhere anymore so I'm <laughs> feeling quite lucky that I got it on Bandcamp when I did nice um, so yeah, that's Oso Oso live at Le Poisson Rouge. You can listen to it on YouTube now. 
Um, and I'd recommend, yeah, you go check out all of their music because they are legitimately one of the, the best bands in the world at the moment, I think. I can't say actually no so so. Um is there anything in particular that like drew you to them? Is there anything that like well I, sp- I suppose the easiest way, way to put it would be like what is now missing now with, with the passing of the guitarist? And also what's the band gonna do? Are they carrying on? Yeah, so I guess I'll break it <laughs> break that question down into part. Um originally I just took a chance on them, really. I think um so I found them after the Unihan mixtape came out. I think I saw some reviews for it. And uh, because they couldn't find a label to release the album, they just pushed out on Bandcamp as pay what you want. So I thought, you know, pay a few quid, see it. If I don't like it, it's fine. And it kind of grew on me over time into being this very important album for me. Um, one thing to note is that Jayla Tree generally talks about Oso Oso as a band, but in terms of the studio stuff, it's generally just him doing it by himself. So um, Maloney would have kind of been more for the touring side of things. Ultimately, though, this is going to have a huge impact on the band going forward because, you know, the the chief songwriter has lost a longtime friend and uh, someone who was really important to them. Um, honestly, I don't know. Oso Oso is, I'm almost certain, going to carry on making music. But if that means it's going to be a long wait for the next album, longer than it would have been anyway, that's possible. Um, I did see that um, Jade Elitri was working with Tavish Maloney on Tavish's first solo album. So that would have been coming out this summer if it had have gone through. Um, so yeah, th- things are obviously not going to be quite what they were, but we're just going to have to wait and see what actually happens, I guess. Nice. Thanks for summing it up for everybody so well, I guess, because I hadn't heard of them either, but yeah, that is really sad. And um, yeah, it might be worth checking out, even if I haven't heard of them. Like, I'm now quite intrigued, really. You've given us very high praise. James, what have you been listening to this week? Yeah, I got a bit of a short one this week, I think. Um, I've come across an artist called Argo Ujma. Maybe that's not how you say her name, but that's how I read it. Um, she's Polish, Polish-born, but her music definitely draws on kind of um, Indonesian folk music. Looking at music, it only seems like she's brought out like three singles or three songs. Um, but these songs are, they just like interest me a lot. They sound very like psychedelic with some folk elements. Um, the instruments she uses, um, I don't know what they are. They seem to be like Indonesian instruments, which sound like really quite unique. Um, kind of like a harpy sound, but not at all at the same time. And yeah. I just think it's a like, really cool blend. Her music videos as well are quite psychedelic and weird. Um, it really fits the music. So if you're not into something a bit strange, then I wouldn't recommend her. But if you want to try something a bit different, then yeah, go for it, really. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on her, see what what she brings out next. Her Her lyrics as well, kind of just kind of folky poems, which is 
kind of offsets the weirdness that goes in the instruments. Um, but yeah, definitely recommend if you're looking for something a bit different and someone new. Yeah, sounds awesome. I like the mix of influences. Well, it sounds like it'd be really interesting. Something I haven't heard before. Nice. Tom, what have you been listening to? Inner World by the Dalai Lama, um, which was an album I never knew was a thing. I never expected in a million years for the Dalai Lama to release an album, but apparently it happened last year and I just didn't notice. Um, a friend of mine told me about it, what, a week or two ago and said, you know, Dalai Lama's got an album and I had... Um, this very weird moment where I thought, what on earth has happened to the world? But actually, it's one of the best things I've listened to all year. Um, so what is it? Is it West Coast hip-hop or is it alternative yeah, metal? Very funny. Yeah, no, it, it's spoken words. It's spoken words. I will say that. To, can you imagine? Can you imagine if the Dalai Lama went into like sludge metal? Oh my God, I listened to that. Just just for one time. Even if it's just the prayers put to sludge metal, that'd be really interesting. Coincidentally, this is actually quite an interesting point. Um, it is a, I can't remember, was it 10 or 11 tracks? Something like that. It was a, it was a pretty standard album anyway. Like I think it runs about 45 minutes. Um, and I think the story goes that a student of Buddhism who studied for a PhD in Buddhist theology contacted Dalai Lama and said, um, listen, you know, you're all about um, spreading your message, spreading love and compassion in the world. This could really help people to um, not embrace teachings, but just to hear what you have to say and also spread that love and compassion to others. Um, and from what I understand, he then went away, recorded these various um, spoken word sections, which were Buddhist prayers and chants. They were um, sermons in English um, about, there's one, there's one um, particularly about motherhood, which... I'm kind of in two minds about, I'll come on to that in a moment. Um, but it was just a really, really nice thing to listen to. It was very much like um, Ross Gabe, which we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It was exactly the album I didn't know I needed to hear. And it was absolutely brilliant to hear. Uh, what was the first track? Yeah, I mean, let's take the first track, for example. That was called uh, One of My Favourite Prayers. And it's about, you know, it's literally Dalai Lama telling you about one of his favorite chants, one of his daily chants. For as long as space endures and for as long as living beings remain, until then, may I too abide to disrupt misery of the world. He might repeat that once a day, he might repeat that a hundred times a day. And the track just repeats that a couple of times with this wonderful, washy um, soundscape in the background. As far as I'm aware, each track has a unique soundscape by a different artist. So again, very similar to what uh, Roske did in his um, EP a few week weeks ago. Um, everything is washed out with reverb. Everything's very splashy. There's a great mix of very Western um, instruments in there. So I had a bass guitar. I had, I had normal acoustics and electric guitars. I heard little bits of um I had little bits of percussion here and there. But then there were also loads of... Um, Oriental, uh, in, oriental instruments in there, which is really, really nice. It felt really different. The music never distracted from what was being said, but it really, really helped to build a headspace and to build uh, like this atmosphere. It was very odd. I've never heard an album quite like it, but I really, really enjoyed it. It was a brilliant album to listen to. Um, yeah, I had... Well, to be fair, I don't know whether I should have issues or not. Um, I think we spoke before we came on air er earlier, like I've been looking and reading a bit more into philosophy recently. Um, 
Uh, one of them was by Julian Begini, who looks like philosophy is the world. And one of them talks about, you know, Indian and Hindu philosophy, and by extension, Buddhist philosophy as well, how that is about the reinterpretation of words. It's not about making new meaning and like, you know, um, creating a new paradigm and a new way of completely viewing the world. It's just about reiterating the basic truths, you know, live a good life, look after each other, care for nature, you know, very, very um, wholesome, you know, Western cultures might call it quite innocent, quite sweet, all very well and good, but how do you actually do it? Um, but it was just interesting for me to like, you know, hear these very, very, um, I don't know what the right term would be. Well, again, just these very innocent messages, which were just, you know, put to this wonderful, undistracting background. It was just such a nice, different album. And honestly, I think I'm just going to keep that in my arsenal. I really think that's something I could listen to once a week, on a Sunday, on a Sunday afternoon, on a walk, wherever, and just sort of remind myself about how good life is. A bit hippie. It's a bit out there. But hey, it was fun. I really liked it. In a World by the Dalai Lama. I'm actually quite looking forward to listening to it now. I think for me, it's going to kind of succeed or die on how good the soundscapes are and how how it works kind of more on ambient sense mm. they never distract from what's being said it's like you know they just sort of swell and it's like um it's kind of this weird call and response where you get you know a bit of spoken word then you get some music and a bit of spoken word and a bit of music and they really bounce off one one another quite nicely i'd also be very interested to hear a fortet remix of the whole album i feel like he could do something really special with that yeah that'd be great well, you're just going to have to ask him, aren't you? Just like say, hey, here it is. <laughs> when we're big enough to have like <laughs> big industry connections like that, sure. <laughs> Were you, did you say something about motherhood, Tom? Were you going to expand on that? Or oh, yes, I was going to, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah again, um, there was one part where he mentioned um, like for children, like the key um, source of compassion, the key source of... Um, um, understanding and love and care comes from motherhood because of that inherent connection when you are born and when you are just starting to grow in the world. Um, and I completely understand it, but also where's dad? I That was kind of something which I picked up on straight away. And it's just like, you know, hey, I want to be involved in this too in my own way. And, you know, I think... <sighs> You could you you could spin it both ways. As a Western person, I kind of go, well, hang on a minute, you're missing the elephant in the room there. But also, on the other side of it, you're also pointing out the other part of the room in this sermon, and then there is also a sermon for you. So, you know, maybe that didn't make the cut. I don't know. But that was just something that bugged me a little bit. But again, that's just in my interpretation of the words, and that's, in, that's not a musical thing, and that's not a, a personal thing. That's just in a philosophical... Uh, existential way, you know. So I don't, I don't necessarily think I could take away from the album in that sense. But in six months, he'll release a deluxe edition with the fatherhood sermon. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> I did notice there's a instrumental version of it. Um, so I imagine if if you're not so into the like words while you're listening to it, you could probably just jump over to the instrumental if if it's good enough, Tom. I haven't seen the instrumental version. Even then, the words were the key part of it. Like, you know, I could happily get rid of most of the instrumentation. I found that it was just kind of there. It just didn't do it. And it just, if it wasn't there, I would have noticed. If it was there, I wouldn't have cared that much. You know, it was one of those things where um, it needed it just for the sake of, of the album. So it worked. But yeah, it was. 
No, I guess the words would be the most important bit, obviously. Yeah, it's not like a particularly rhythmic or like, you know, lined up with the music in any particular way. But it, it was just there and it just felt nice. It was just really, really different and really, really, uh, yeah, just there. It was just good. It was just good. It was vibes, man. It was great vibes. Okay, definitely hippie vibes there. <laughs> <laughs> I never said it wasn't. I never said it wasn't. Interesting about the motherhood thing. I haven't listened to it, so I don't know exactly what the context of it was. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's just more like parenthood as a whole, or maybe mm. I'm making excuses where I shouldn't. I don't. I don't think there's any big I'm issue. Making my own context isn't there. I don't think there's any big issue. I think it's just I'm kind of sensitive to it because, you know, one day I do want to be a dad and I do want to be a present dad who is there, you know. So I just kind of, I often get defensive about those kind of things. But, you know, that's just me. That's something that, that's my own fight to fight. I don't think there's any inherent problem with the track. It's just me. <laughs> but yeah, still an awesome album. Give it a go. Yeah, I'm probably more confident, like, going up on, going on the uh, musical analysis side rather than trying to fight him on the philosophical side. I feel like that's probably... He's probably going to come out on top against any of us on that front. Pretty much. I've been watching more and more interviews by him as well. Just like I've been... Yeah, as, as I've been studying philosophy, I've been looking a lot more at, like, you know, his positions on things and, you know, his uh, advice on different subjects. And it's just... It's really nice. I'm just really, really enjoying it. It's, it's one thing that the album really did, and it's probably a great closing thought, the one thing that the album did was introduce me to the space. It introduced me to that, you know, that room, that region, that house that it occupies. And I've kind of gone, you know, here's the front entrance. You could go that way, you could go this way, you could go upstairs, you know. And and again, it's getting a little bit wishy-washy, but, you know, it was still really, really great. It was just a very different way of thinking. And I kind of like it. I like this place. I may not live here forever, but hey, I'm going to stick around for a night or two. There we go. We'll title this episode Tom's One Night Stand with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Don't do that. No. The Dalai Lama becomes a super host on Airbnb. Right, Jess. <laughs> Finish us off with what you've been listening to this week. Uh, honestly, mine's like much less profound than everybody else's. Um, but let's just go for it anyway. So I've been listening to um, Breakfast by Porridge. Um, this is Porridge spelled... P-O-R-I-J, just for clarity. Um, porridge. Every time I every time I ask the like smart speaker for it, it comes up with porridge radio, which is a different band, so um slightly confusing. Yeah, they they're probably the uh the most breakfast themed band I've heard recently. Interesting accolade. I mean their singer is called Eggy, I think. <laughs> so there's that. Um yeah, so they are uh, a quartet that seem pretty sort of up and coming at the moment. Um, this is their mixtape that came out late last year and it's their um, their first sort of proper body of work, I guess. Up until that point, they just released singles and then these are collected together in the mixtape and there's a couple of new songs as well. Um, overall, though, I guess their influences are kind of from a lot of genres, including like electronic, funk, um, art pop, house music. I guess overall it's like electronic pop. Um, and yeah, there's only six songs on this mixtape, but it's very like short and sweet introduction to the band, which is really nice. And they managed to have like quite a lot of different styles of music over these six songs, and yet keeping it quite consistently a porridge sound, which is nice. So you've got 150, which is like a very quiet and 
chilled track. You might be like a good barbecue summer playlist song. Um, can imagine playing that later. Then, but like, and it goes the other end of the scale. Um, there's a song called Your Love, which is one of the new ones actually for this mixtape. And that's like way more upbeat and dancey. It's um, almost like a bit somewhere between like trance and drum and bass. Um, so yeah, like way more energetic. And then the last song on the mixtape is um, is a debut single. I like that, which I do like. Um, it's really great. And this is like the first song that got me onto them in the first place. When I first heard them, that was the only song they had. So it was a while until I heard anything new. Um, it's kind of... Part of it is like funk-inspired electronica, which is not particularly... Uh, that's, a, that's been done a lot, I guess. But then it kind of like breaks halfway through into this really like frantic chorus or drop, I guess. And then it slows back down again to the more funk verses. And I like the change of pace constantly. So it kind of keeps you really interested and it definitely mixes it up compared to like their peers. Um, overall, one thing I particularly liked was how it kind of sounds like a full band. As I said, there's four of them. Um, I mean, like some electronic pop can kind of sound like it's just done by one person with like samples and drum machines and things. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, because like that's, that describes my recommendation from last week, which I absolutely loved. But it kind of makes this band stand out against like other similar artists. Again, it feels like it's got a lot more depth to it. Um, for example, I think like the drums are quite prominent on a lot of songs. They're very like forward. And it sounds like it's just actually a real drum kit. And it does feel like you can imagine this band playing. I think actually they were formed like with the intention of playing shows. Apparently, as the story goes, they um like a friend's band dropped out of some concert and they got pulled in like at the last minute. And that was basically how the band formed. They didn't really like they hadn't really written anything properly before then. So they were just formed to play. So maybe that's where their nice full band sound comes from. Um finally there's actually a Disclosure cover on this album, uh, White Noise. So we're talking a bit amongst us during the week about how putting a cover on an album can be quite risky. Um, but I think they pull it off in this case. I mean, firstly, they have a bit of a free pass because it's a mixtape anyway. It's not actually a full album, so you can get away with that. But um, but I think it's actually quite good. It's not massively different from the original, but they definitely put their own spin on it. And I think I'd, I'd listen to it pretty much on the same level as I listened to the original. So that's quite an accolade, I guess. So yeah, overall, this is a it's kind of a perfect introduction to the band, to be honest. Six tracks that kind of encompass all their style, but have quite a significant difference between each one. And you can definitely hear the overall porridge sound over it. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear what they do next and whether they're gonna do an actual um a full album next. They've got one more single released since this. So yeah, onwards and upwards, hopefully, for porridge. I am quite intrigued by this one because, uh, yeah, I'm on a Spotify profile at the moment. Eggy on vocals and keys, Tommy vocal and guitar, Jammo on bass, and Tom on drums. So we've got two Toms. We've got Jam and Egg. Great. Uh, are all currently studying in Manchester. Uh, what did it say here? They record separately and then merge the sounds together meticulously to form their distinctive oats sound. Oats in quote marks there. Just like, hey, so you just like us. I like this. I love the quirk. This is... I think I could get behind this. I haven't listened to them yet, but I think I could get behind this. The question is, do you have to listen to them in the morning? Or have you listened to them in the afternoon? Yeah. Do we do all day breakfast? Or is it brunch? Yeah, maybe brunch will be their next album. (laughs) (laughs) At what time is breakfast not good? That's a good point. 
having cereal at like 9 p.m that's that's the greatest thing that is true adult responsibilities there i can do whatever i like watch me <laughs> yeah as leslie nope says you know breakfast foods are just the best foods they should be had all times a day basically i'd agree there no time limit on this album 24 hour breakfast 24 hour breakfast all day every day porridge all the time great (laughs) (laughs) right shall we move on to the news um we've got one story this week um Mm. it comes from theconversation.com and i tried to find additional sources for this but it seems like that a bunch of newspapers have just pasted this article and put that up on their website so (laughs) in looking for additional information i basically found nothing um but uh this is from uh christine bauer who's an assistant professor of human-centered computing at utrecht university um and andreas ferraro who's a phd student at uh uh, Tom, you'll have to help me with this because my Spanish is terrible. Where are we? Hang on a moment. Uh, what have we got? Christine Bauer, assistant professor of human-centered computing at Utrecht University, and Andres Ferraro, PhD candidate, information and communication technologies at Universidad Pompeo Fabra. I think that's Italian. No, well, the Pompeo the university is in Spain. I looked oh, okay. up, but uh, maybe the names. I I don't know. Anyway. They, they've been doing this study, they've written this article, it's very short, and there's a lot of information that's not there that I'd very much have liked. The basic rundown is that they're saying that music recommendation algorithms on streaming services are less likely to recommend female artists, and empirically that seems like something that's pretty obvious. Um, so they looked at... Uh, 330,000 users listening behavior over a nine-year period. Um, 25% of the artists ever listened to in that period were female. Uh, On average, the first recommended track was by a man. This is when uh, using the algorithm and along with the next six. So on average, you'd have to, using the algorithm, get to the eighth track along before you find one that's performed by a woman um and they also go on to outline that they've they've done some modeling and they think by doing a like um uh reallocation of where the women are placed into the playlist it might in the future basically fix the issue and break the bias because essentially what they think, and I think seems a, a reasonable hypothesis, the problem is that the algorithm itself isn't the problem. It's that male artists historically have been overvalued and pushed to consumers. And then because people are listening to more male artists, it reinforces that with the algorithm. So as people listen to more male artists... The, the algorithm pushes more male artists on people and it's this feedback loop that keeps going. So by kind of intervening and kind of resetting things and making it a bit more equal, it should, according to their their modelling, improve things and make more female musicians be better off in the long term. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Will. 
I've, I know a bit about machine learning and it just appears that it recommends what people, what, what people are doing. And obviously machine learning and AI doesn't have a mind of itself really. So it is just, it's just doing what it thinks people would like. And yeah, I definitely noticed that I don't get many female artists recommended when obviously I recommended one just a few minutes ago and I do want to listen to them and putting them in first in the playlists. Is that what it is, Will? Essentially, yeah, their potential solution would be that for a time they force it to be that women are further up in the recommendation order so maybe the first artist you get recommended is a man but then the next one would be a woman yeah i mean if we could do that then and if it worked that's a good thing yeah some big issues i have is that um they don't link out to their actual like report on the study um they don't say (laughs) what their methodology was for finding out this um the algorithm data, so saying that on average the first track you'll get by a woman will be after eight tracks or whatever. Um, they only give information on how they research how many artists ever listen to were male or female, which would be useful, I think, for, for us to know like more of that stuff. But... They do actually link out to their paper. Oh, did they? Yeah, I'm just looking through the study at the moment. There's a lot of information on here. So it's conference proceedings and proceedings of the 2021... Conference on Human Information Interaction and Retrieval. Um, so I'm assuming, like, I haven't looked at, you know, credibility of the of the actual, like, journal or whatever itself, but, like, it seems like a legit paper. But I haven't had time to read everything on it, actually. I've got... The concept, I think, is absolutely right. I think there is a big gender imbalance, but there are a lot of questions which this opens up and does not necessarily answer in the article. I think that's natural. I think they're researchers, and they didn't... I don't think they necessarily have all the answers. They can only report on what they found out so far. Um, Two giant questions, which I've got already. Um, It's also a bit peculiar. I'll probably start with my own comments, because honestly, I put my hand on my heart and say that the artists that have stood out to me most in the last 12 or 24 months, most of them have been female. Dua Lipa, Sigrid, uh, in the pop pop hemisphere, but also like some of my new favourite artists, Jay Bird. Um... Katie Pruitt are all artists which I stepped back to and went, wow. I can't necessarily think of many um, male artists who have done the same thing. Tom Mitch, maybe. Um, Corey Wong, maybe. Um, certainly new artists and certainly new music. I feel like I've been influenced a lot more by female artists than I have by male artists. So it's really interesting that this is coming up and it really seems that um, male artists are getting a big preference on playlists and probably they are um, there are a couple of big questions that I'd like to answer firstly what is the split of male artists to female artists and secondly what is the split of male listeners to female listeners because it's not necessarily that that's going to justify it and say oh yeah this is balanced or proportional that's not the point the point is it gives context to the numbers that are being given because I don't I honestly don't know what the Spotify subscription numbers are but I wonder if there is a slight imbalance towards male listeners over female listeners I could be completely wrong there but I kind of wonder if that might be the case. I also wonder if there are more male artists than there are female guitarists. But also, there are lots of other deeper questions here. Like, you know, traditionally, like, you know, if you go like to like classic, you know, rock stereotypes, you know, the band is all male apart from the singer who's a girl. 
you know and those are very very old ideas i don't think they're right ideas i think it's really worth changing them um but i think that there is a lot of baggage here which needs to be overcome and i think it needs to be like you know really thought about in depth what i want now is more numbers does is actually um there must be a reason why these numbers came around in the first place. And yes, it will be the algorithm, but what information is that algorithm working on? Do we need to adjust parameters it is working on uh, to make change and to make real change? And also, does that weigh up with people's experiences? We've mentioned like it's, what was it, 25% of new music people are listening to is made by female artists. Does that weigh up with... um, who people would identify as their favorite artists from the last 12 months or 24 months. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. But yeah, I certainly as someone who trained in marketing and trained in market research, I've got a lot of questions now, which I need to find answers for. And I may just go out and find them anyway. I'll see if I will see what information I could dig up on this because I'm genuinely curious to get some more uh, intel on this. Yeah, it's interesting you said that, Tom, because for me, it was kind of a no-brainer that the the algorithm or the music streaming services, I I get dominated by. Let's rephrase that. It's fine. <laughs> New title for the episode: James gets dominated by women. He gets dominated by the algorithm. He gets dominated by big business capitalism. Screw the patriarchy. My my suggestion: music suggestions in these streaming services are mainly dominated by male artists for me. Mm. And for me, that was a no-brainer. But maybe it's... I'm sure there's something to do with the kind of genres I'm listening to. I am, I'm sure that, like you mentioned, Tom, like Dua Lipa and Taylor Swift, they're kind of in like a pop genre, which I may not listen to. Mm. Um, and maybe pop is dominated by uh, female artists. Maybe it isn't. And yeah, those numbers would be quite, I think, useful to look at. I think in principle the idea stands, but it's just like, you know, it, it may be that the algorithm doesn't need to tweak. Well, yes, but how? What numbers is it running on? What is it assuming? That's where my big questions lie at the moment. It, it does have the numbers in the article, so maybe we should go and have a look. I feel like it's bad to say our criticism that we don't have the numbers when they're actually there. Skimming me through. There's also another question here. Um, how is it ranking bands? They're not doing that bands. This is just... Just solo artists. This is just focusing on solo artists, and it says ones in which there is like a reported associated gender with it. Um, well, in, in this, it says the data set only provides female or male. I said, why we're aware that this binary gender classification is does not reflect multitude of gender identities. This is mm. basically the only data set they get hold of, and it doesn't have, they couldn't find one that has, you know, a wider gender definition. It's a start anyway. It's impossible to tackle everything on day one. So yeah, I think it's good that they have started, but also there are now, we're now at a stage, if this was like a project where there are now a butt ton of questions which need answering. So yeah, I I think it's absolutely in the right tracks, but now there needs to be a lot of work done on this. And also, there's also a bigger question. Are Spotify and Apple and Deezer and Tidal actually going to listen to what's being said? Are they going to act on this? That's a really tough question to answer. Or is it more up to consumers to do that? And is it more up for them to uh, discover female artists off their own back? You know, lots of philosophical questions here. I'm all for it, but there needs to be a big discussion on this. I mean, partly not to, you know, inflate our own egos too much, but it highlights the importance of 
things like music blogs and shows like ours where mm. we're recommending music not just based on what everyone's listening to and curation because it can exactly yeah which you know some streaming services do better than others see if i can so yeah for, for a bit more numbers they've got two data sets um first data set is approximately fifteen thousand female artists fifty thousand male artists second data set is 10,000 female artists and 35,000 male artists, very roughly. They say um, a data set, where from? They said this from Last FM, from um, a data set of over 1 billion listening events containing play counts of timestamp by 120,000 users, covering 32 million tracks by 3 million artists. Um, it says apparently this gender imbalance in data sets does reflect the current reality in the music business. Yeah, so they've got roughly... 330,000 users total over those data sets or that the um oh yeah sorry that first one I was, li- I was just listening that was just listening listing one data set so overall they've got about 130,000 users of data and over, like, almost 500,000 tracks um and then they've yeah they've run simulations to to see what would happen to the algorithm over time, I'm not entirely sure on like how the simulations have been run, what method. Yeah, there's a big question there. Um, but they've so they've tried using they've tried like shifting the male artists down in the ranking by a just translating it down, and then they've tried different values of like how far they're translated. So zero is like it's not translated down at all; it's just exactly as it is. And then the higher num- this number is, the further down the art the male artist is shifted and therefore increasing the ranking of the female artists. And then they've seen over time how that evolves. It does seem to break the feedback loop, which is interesting. Because I guess it could end up being, it could end up um, spiralling out of control in feedback terms where, like, if there's more male artists overall in the music industry, say it's, like, 70% male and 30% female, I guess it could end up unintentionally that you end up, that the algorithm thinks you listen to more male artists and just gradually phases all the female artists out where actually mm. I guess if you want it to be purely um, just take like an actual accurate sample of the data of all like music you'd want it to stay at 30% and 70% exactly does that make sense it and might, is that the right way to do it, it? Do, you actually actually want, consistent, yeah. and do you actually want a 50-50 split you know because it looks good on paper is that actually what's reflective of you know, the artists that are there you know um yeah, I think you're right. This, this is one of the big questions. How is that feedback loop starting in the first place? Where is it coming from? Is it listening habits or is this something else entirely? Well, I think it does. It makes sense to me, I think, in which case, um, yeah, if there's, if there's a greater proportion of male artists generally, that would, even if you listen to things kind of complete proportional sense, I guess it would end up, or it could end up giving you many more male artists and converging towards an almost entirely male listening set, depending mm. on the algorithm. I'm not sure exactly how this one works, but I can see how that could unintentionally be an effect of it when you, when that wasn't actually the intent of the algorithm, which is obviously not what you want. If you're, I guess if you're being completely pragmatic, you'd want it to stay at the same proportion as it is generally. But it is interesting to look at secondary effects of the algorithm, even if it's not intended, even if the algorithm itself is not like, you know, bias towards men. Mm. It's, it's yeah, you have to consider the long-term um, effects of these things. And I find that quite interesting. Yeah, it's, quite, it's not even too different to my, like, 
field of study. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about great albums that just have awful artwork. So stay tuned for that. I think inherently humans are quite visual creatures. And I think what an album cover looks like can actually affect quite deeply how how you feel about the album. Oh, no question. Specifically when you first listen to it. I mean, there's definitely albums that I haven't checked out at first because they have bad album art. So what we're talking about today are albums that do have bad album art, but also the album held within the sleeve walls is actually quite good um jess i want you to start because i think you're going to have a controversial opinion okay well to be, to be honest i kind of want to start on the opposite thing and say that yeah you're right i've seen we are visual i've seen albums that look great and i love the album cover of them and i listen to it and i don't really enjoy it that much um or like it really intrigues me like, the example of this, which is not even a bad album at all, but it's Screamadelica by Primal Scream. I love the album cover for this. And yet, I'm not that fast on the album. It's not bad, but I just... Apart from, like, a couple of the main... Like, the main singles are great, but the whole album, I didn't really jive with me. But I love the um, the cover, and I'd, like... I think I still have it, like, up on my wall, just because I like the artwork. Um, it's almost like a child drawing of the sun or something, which just makes me laugh. Um... Yeah, so I guess looking at good albums with bad artwork, the one that I that stood out to me is a really, really good album, and it's like acclaimed, I'd say, like really widely acclaimed as potentially one of the greatest albums ever, which is Remain in Light by Talking Heads. It has a terrible cover. It really just does. I think the cover's quite good. Do you? We can this is a potentially a subjective matter, I guess, isn't it? I mean, I I wouldn't have said it. It's like bad, and and to some extent, I guess it's reasonably influential. Like, I guess the Demon Days cover by Gorillaz probably wouldn't have looked like that without Remain in Light, right? Yeah, maybe. I just think it's a bit like "Oops, I spilled spaghetti on my face," kind of in paint. <laughs> That's a vibe. Like, <laughs> I love the album. I have I have the record of it, and I like. I have like the record tray in my wall. I like putting up different albums, but I just don't want to put that one up because I just don't really enjoy looking at it. Sadly, um, yeah. I actually like the back of that album more. It's got like, um, it's got like planes on it. I think it's bad too, but I feel like it's intentionally like that. Well, this is a thing. I guess. I guess it maybe it is intentionally bad. Does that matter to us? Do we? Do we? Uh, do, does that mean something to you? Do you take more? Meaning out of if it's intentionally bad? Does that add to the album in some way? I think if it's intentionally bad, it has to go far enough. You can't just have something that's just kind of mediocre and then say, oh, well, I was trying to be bad anyway and have it be meaningful. Like, it needs to have something that, that's quite interesting about it, I guess. 
I think the way to measure it is if you don't want to pull it on your bedroom wall, it's bad. And I don't want to put this on my bedroom wall. I don't want to put any on my bedroom wall. Is that a bad sign? Yeah, I'm kind of with you, Tom, where I, I don't really like having... I like having my physical collection. Mm. But I don't really like putting things up all that much. I like my bookshelf with all of my books. I don't have prints of the covers on the wall, personally. <laughs> but maybe that's just me. I think for me, that one of the one of the appeals of having like a physical record um, is is like looking at it as a piece of artwork. And obviously sometimes you, you get the back side of it as well and you get like inserts and like lyrics or more additional artwork, which is great. Yeah. So yeah, that's part of the whole experience for me. Like that's what I don't get via Spotify or even like via CDs as much because it's like a lot smaller. I get that though. So it's, I get having something yeah, physical so besides going... the music. I love that idea, but also like... Yeah, so for me, like having... Because thing. I want to have... Because I want to make it the more physical experience and... It's a bit of a shame to me if I don't enjoy actually looking at it because it kind of defeats the point of having the record in part. Mm. Speaking of albums that we think the artwork might be intentionally bad, the, the one that really sprung to my mind when we started talking about this was Power Ballads by London Electricity. Um, it's a drum and bass album from the mid-noughties. It would have come out in 2005, I think. Um, and London Electricity is one of my favourite drum bass producers of all time. He's fantastic. Oh, what is um, this? And th- this album is is really good, but is sandwiched between Billion Dollar Gravy before it, which is amazing, and Syncopated City after it, which I think is the best drum and bass album ever made. And it's really good, but I don't think it lives up to either of them, so it- it's just kind of in this awkward place. With a slice of green screened literally onto the River Thames outside Battersea Power Station. That's See, this hilarious. is the thing, like, I think he's self-conscious enough and oh, to, to know that this is bad. But I don't think it's bad enough to, to loop back around and be, like, fun. It's just weird and... <laughs> It's really yeah. odd because you can tell there's a lot of effort put into it. Like you can see all of the color adjustment. Like this guy has gone like it's really <laughs> sort of like um like um uh, like soft purple color and like you know that's the same filter that's across the entire screen. All the colors sort of work together, but then it's just have you not looked at the picture itself? Like what what's going on? What's or, he actually holding? Has he ever said he thinks he's Jesus with with some weird eighty <laughs> synth or? What gets it for me is the font that the power balance is in. It's like a font you get <laughs> off word and you're like, you know, ah, this will do. Yeah. This looks nice. What's the title of the album? Just power power balance. I just thought, okay, so what are we doing? Is this like Bon Jovi? Is this like is this like, you know, Van Halen? Like what are we getting here? Come on. Give me some more. Is this journey? This is definitely not journey. Oh dear. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, it's much better than Journey, but... I kind of love and hate the fact that, like, it's power and he's done it in front of Battersea Power Station. Uh-huh. I never even thought about that. Great joke. I like that, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah, better or worse than Animals by Pink Floyd. That's the power part, but where's the ballad part? Just, where, just like, his, his backstory and how he learned to work on walk on water or, you know... <laughs> I don't want things to devolve into people just being mean about Tony Coleman because he is <laughs> legitimately a, a very talented artist and has uh, started like w- one of the, in my opinion, best drum and bass labels. 
in hospital records. But he needs so. to hire an art director, apparently. And it, uh, some of the hospital artworks from back in that time were pretty good. I mean, the one prior to this billion dollar gravy is kind of a similar thing where it, it's like a picture of a protest and then it's him holding a big sign saying billion dollar gravy, which is weird. But for that one, I think is weird enough to work. Yeah, that's This fair. one is, is just a bit strange. But then, yeah, like uh, Futuristics had an album out on hospital around this time that had cool artwork. Um, I guess this would have been around Danny Bird's debut album, which I th- think is fine. It's just, yeah, this, this one's just strange. Just to go back a second, like, is it, to be fair, I can kind of see it now just looking at prim- uh, Screaming Delicate again, and Primal Scream. It's one of those things where, yeah, it's not something that I would like in full scale or in like, you know, I wouldn't like that blown up on the side of my wall unless it was like absolutely massive and took up an entire wall. Maybe that would work. But yeah, if it's just like a spot, like a, like a, like a wart or something, yeah, it's not going to work, is it? It really isn't going to work. I was going through like a couple of lists that other people put together just to see what people thought was good and bad. And a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of prog rock and uh, like metal subgenres that typically don't have, or, you know, have a lot of bad album artwork. One thing I particularly thought of myself was like 90s and noughties kind of alternative metal and like hard rock. Mm. Has has great ones to be, you know, not all of them are bad at all. Some of them are really, really great, but. And then there's every cover that Creed had. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of bad ones. Um, Or just ones that are kind of like grimy. And I guess they go with the aesthetic of the album. So I can't really complain. Like that's probably what they intended for, but it's just like. I don't enjoy looking at them. But also on this list, they had um, three from Led Zeppelin, which I think is a great cover. So this is the white one with lots of like little objects all scattered around and like big bubble writing. Yeah, I like that one as well. Uh, Also on this list, um, Brothers by the Black Keys. Do people know it? Yeah. know the artwork? I don't think it's particularly bad. Which one by the Black Keys? I mean, I don't love it. Brothers. It's brothers. So it's, it literally just says on the on the cover, this is an album by the Black Keys. The name of this album is Brothers. Um, it's definitely like a Marmite cover, I think, because I've spoken to people who absolutely love it and think it's like genius or or just like really ironic and funny. It personally just kind of winds me up because <laughs> I'm really cynical. Yeah. But then it's very memorable. I mean, I guess I've remembered it ever since it came out. So they've done their job well, really. I don't mind it. I kind of like it. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm definitely like, it's not a universally panned one. I think it's better than some of their other album arts. Like El Camino, is that the album where it's just like a van? Yeah, yeah that was yeah. an odd one. Yeah, it but looks like the Good it. Kid Mad City artwork, but it does yeah. not as exciting. It was old, but I liked it. If we're just talking bad artwork in general, where the music might not be good as well, not that, uh, wait, that's a weird segue from the Black Keys, because I do quite like the Black Keys, <laughs> but um... <laughs> Green Day's most recent album, Father of All. The artwork is terrible. It's the one with like the unicorn throwing up on it. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's so bad. Because it kind of draws on like their old covers, which some of which are actually quite good. Like I still I think the American Idiot cover is pretty solid actually. It's very iconic and it conveys its message like really well. Dookie as well. But like they, I'd argue kind of like, that's an amazing piece of artwork. 
yeah, that's great. And they've not they've like incorporated elements of the old artwork, but yeah, made it much worse. But it looks like it's been done by like an edge lord who doesn't actually like who's so deep in memes that they don't understand what like they don't have good taste anymore. All they know is like <laughs> deep, deep irony. Yeah, I feel like they're trying to go for something and it's just it's just not working. I don't like it. Right, let's get back to some good music though. Tom or James. <laughs> someone someone bring us back from the brink. I'll go. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um Emoticons by Ben and Jason. I have just rediscovered this again. One of my favorite acoustic duos um ever. Simon and Garfunkel, if they kind of lost the plot, and it's brilliant stuff. <laughs> um fantastic album, terrible terrible atrocious artwork um i don't know what they were thinking here it's not so much the design i kind of like the general feel of it and the vibe but basically what you got is like this 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 sort of like mustard diarrhea yellow over a sort of washed out uh polaroid blue it just doesn't really work but i love the kind of idea of it and i like the concept so i'm running two minds about this album but it is no reflection on what the album actually is content-wise. It's got some really, really sweet songs on it. Um, the reason that I bring this up in particular, firstly, the album work is disgusting, but I was going to bring it up at all because it wasn't um, on Spotify. For years and years and years and years, they had two of their four albums on Spotify, not this one, which is my favourite and the most popular. But some genius, I don't know who or when, has now put that on Spotify. So this is why this is now a constant repeat again because I do adore this album so much. It's got so much quirk. Um, but yeah, the album work is simply disgusting. I think the fact it's called Emoticons really dates it so heavily that you start <laughs> to make assumptions about it, which again, I kind of like, but also it's, I, 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 I deliberately don't share this as like, it's beautiful or it's amazing. I share this with like music connoisseurs who like go, actually is a really good art and this is really good music. Just look past the artwork, look past all the aesthetics because it's fantastic music underneath it. I have very strong opinions about this album. I adore it to pieces, but Jesus Christ, I don't want to look at it. It's just horrid. So I'll agree with you on the album title, Emoticons, that it's outdated and it shouldn't have been called that. The album art, I like it. I really, really like it. Even if it's that colour. I Yeah, I kind of... I don't know about... Yeah, it's, it's cool. I think it's cool. There's just something about the colours. It's just like, it doesn't work. Again, the overall design I like, it's just like, why put them in those colours? Why would you do that? Yeah, I don't hate it. It kind of makes me think of bands like Bishop Allen, I guess. Kind of slightly twee, light indie rock. So, I mean, it, it's not an album art that draws me in. But I don't look at it and immediately hate it. That's interesting. To be fair, then, it, well, if you can get past the artwork, this may be your favourite album of the year, I'm just saying. It's genuinely, it's so quirky, because like it's all traditional... The thing that I love about them so much is that they do really like traditional um, arrangements. So, you know, it is just like a pop band. It is, it is, it's an acoustic pop band. So you've got a singer with an acoustic guitar and you've got a multi-instrumentalist. You've got you've got Ben and you've got Jason, okay? Um, but they will do such weird things. Like, they'll have keyboards in the background as, like, backing, but then they'll just put a wah pedal on it and just like, why? I don't know, because it's fun. And they'll do, like, you know, they'll just put, like, spring reverbs on, like, you know freaking grand pianos and add in like cello uh, melody lines where it doesn't fit but it does work so well I think if you describe this album in like the 
equipment and the instruments that we used, it wouldn't make any sense. When you listen to it, it's so... I don't know. I just love it. It feels like it's got so much quirk and it's got so much energy about it. I really, really adore it. But yeah, if you can look past the artwork, then go for it. Cool. Um, one I had was Machine Head by Deep Purple. Um, so we mentioned about how like classic rock kind of album covers and not that great. And I don't think this one's yeah. great either. I don't think it's like... I'll, I'll agree with you on this. Like yeah. other people I've contested, this is awful. <laughs> Yeah, like I don't think it's really hard to look at. I just think it's just it's just crap. It's just like it's just bad. Like, but I do like some of the songs on there. So, um, Highway Star, I do like then Space Truck, you know, like and obviously Smoke on the Water is on there, but that's overplayed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I I don't think it's a, like an awesome album. I think it's a good album, but the album art is just what they're trying to do. <laughs> It's like it, it looks just like it's trying to be psychedelic, but it's not a psychedelic album. It looks so seventies. I can feel myself turning brown. This is just this is the problem I've got watching this. It's just like just the way it's yeah. blurred and like the way the um, writing's been like you know basically finger painted on the top. It's just like this feels so ridiculously seventies. It's unbelievable. Which to be fair, it's of its time. You know. I don't think they make any bones about it. They were never trying to be like, you know, trying to forge the way apart from like create classic rock. Um, yeah, I can see why people do not like this. It has not aged well at all. They were really rare. I just actually thought of a couple who are um, a couple of albums which are good covers, but have like odd elements in them. Um, so like first example, Dummy by Portishead. Incredible album. I think a lot of people would say. Um like an absolute classic in its genre. Um, and the overall design of it, I think, is fine. But it's got in the middle this picture of a woman in a chair, I think. You can't really tell. It's like basically very pixelated. And I don't know if it's... It might be trying to invoke like the look of being on CCTV or something like that. But it just kind of looks like they couldn't get a high-quality enough image to actually do it. The quality, the actual picture, the subject is is goes with the um, music, but it's just blurry or like pixelated, which is quite funny. And then, on a similar note, um, 2017 to 2019 by Against All Logic, the album cover of this really makes me laugh because it's got a, um, it's like mostly just text on it, just the artist and the title. And it's got this uh, stock image on it and it's like a guy in camo holding his phone up to his ear. And um, and you can tell it's a stock image because it's still got like the watermarks across it, which is just hilarious to me. I, I don't actually know if, I mean, maybe it's maybe it was done intentionally. Maybe it was um, maybe it's not actually a stock image, and he just made look like that. But it really makes me laugh. So it's got like the Alamy or whatever logo printed across it. It's just yeah, it's kind of hilarious. I don't think it's a bad cover. I actually like the cover, but that bit's funny. Yeah, I guess um, Black Country Neuro did something kind of similar on their album this year where they have like a big photo in the middle and then at the bottom it has like the unsplash um like credit to, the, to whoever made it which yeah. they didn't have to put on at all but it's just kind of like an artistic choice to to do it yeah i don't know how i feel about yeah, I like that. that i'm like it's saying something but also uh, it gets old quickly you know yeah that's the issue if lots of people start doing it now I think we'll look back in a few years on the the ones who kind of did it first and it seemed cool at the time as as being a bit 
cheesy and dumb, especially once <laughs> these kind of like stock image sites might close down or something else will take their place. It'll be very much of its time, won't it? It Not quite in the same way as Deep Purple, but (laughs) (laughs) still. Yeah, I guess it can be used for the artistic statement, can't it? Depending on what the music is. Yeah. If anybody wants to check out these albums, I think pretty much everything we've recommended or talked about here is is actually good music, so don't be put off, don't uh, judge a book by its cover or... That's a very good point. We've we've trashed the artwork, but actually all the albums are fine. So yeah, go and listen to literally all of these. Do it ten times. It's great. Just don't look at them. Also tweet at us uh, if you've got any suggestions on uh, good album art and bad album, because we didn't get many for that. Or tweet at us, at Unmuted Weekly, to, to complain about our opinions. If you love power ballads, particularly the artwork, like, go for it. Right, let's move on to reviews for this week. And we've got two, I'm going to be reviewing one, and Tom has a review of The Coral coming up in a bit. But first, I'm going to be talking about the new Manchester Orchestra album. It's called The Million Masks of God. It's their their sixth proper studio album, in that I'm not counting Hope, which was an acoustic redoing of their album Cope. Um, It's out now on Loma Vista. It came out this week. My first thought was that it feels a bit weird having a new Manchester Orchestra album in spring, but then I went back and looked at, and their last album came out in July. So I guess it's just me kind of associating their sound with winter that um, <laughs> that's caused that issue. Um, if you want some uh, uh, a resume for the band, um, on this album they've got three main producers working with them. Catherine Marks, who worked on their previous album, uh, A Black Mile to the Surface. Uh, Ethan Gruska, who's worked on both of Phoebe Bridges' albums. And John Congleton, um, who has a storied history in rock music. He's worked with bands like Modest Mouse, The War on Drugs, Vagabond, um, The District, and a bunch of others from the last 30 years. Um, so they've got some heavy hitters on this record. Um, if you don't really know Manchester Orchestra, they're an indie rock band. They started out in the noughties. Um, and they've, they've kind of had this second wind, I guess, uh, following their last album. Um, I kind of think of them, their sound isn't all that similar, but kind of in the same vein as Los Campesinos, where they had kind of an initial run where they released some good music but never really got mainstream acclaim for it. And then through uh, artists who were heavily influenced by them becoming much bigger than the original band themselves, they've kind of had like a second wave as as kind of older musicians. Um, so yeah, lots of recent artists who've got quite big, like Phoebe Bridges, Julian Baker... And kind of these emotional songwriters around at the moment have, have cited Manchester Orchestra and Andy Hull, their lead singers, um, particularly his lyricism as as an influence for them. And um, their last album, A Black Mile to the Surface, is, in my opinion, one of the best rock albums of the last 10 years. It's highly conceptual. It does lots of really weird storytelling stuff where there are like named events that happen, but all of the songs 
don't really happen in sequential order. So they're talking about things that happen in the past on one song and then it's in the future. And you don't really know like which uh, character's viewpoint they're talking from at any given moment. And it, it really actually does a good job of drawing you in rather than pushing you away. But that's their last album. Um, let's move on to the new one. Um, the sound is more electronic than their previous album, uh, particularly the drums. They've kind of infused it with this kind of um, uh, more sampley kind of sound with with claps layered over the the snares and and those kind of digital additions. Um, in general, it's definitely a progression from Black Mile rather than kind of moving on to something else, which I think is smart given how great the last record was. On my first lesson yesterday, the songwriting seemed more straightforward than on the previous record. And it, in the sense that, it, not like lyric to lyric, it, it seemed kind of similar, but in a larger sense, the songs felt more self-contained rather than the sprawling narrative of the previous one where they're not making direct allusions to particular things that have happened or there aren't like these places that are um created kind of as the album goes through um but listening a bit more uh later on yesterday and this morning i've started to kind of piece together what what the album's more about and it it's definitely an album about um, death. The, the second track's called Angel of Death and uh, the lead singer's talking about like coming face to face with basically the Grim Reaper. Um, the album was written in the wake of the band's guitarist's father dying. So it, it has this kind of overtone of grief that, that kind of permeates through the whole thing. Also, I wrote this note down and I'm not sure that now I've kind of got more into the lyrics, it really makes sense. But in terms of the sound, um, I, I thought that if Black Mile feels like kind of holding on to things as like everything falls apart around you, Million Masks has more of this like driving force where it feels like kind of like things are bad, but you're kind of fighting to keep like the things that you want, which I guess is just kind of my emotional reaction to the two albums. But uh yeah that that's kind of how i see the two things a bit um i'll kind of get into the tracks themselves now i guess um the opening track i thought was quite weird like it has a lot of really great elements i just don't know that it really works as an opening track for the album it has some really cool synth sounds in the backgrounds at times the vocal harmonies sound almost brian wilson-esque um but it's just like the tone. I'm not sure if they're they're aiming for it to be like pensive or if it's supposed to be epic. And it kind of sits between those two things. I'm not sure it really does either incredibly. So it, it's a bit of a weird way to, to open the record. But then we get kind of this run of really great tracks. So we have Angel of Death um, and then we have two of the singles after that. And these songs are going to be great live they've got like big drum beats um great choruses uh yeah and it, it all kind of comes together really well later on in the album we get kind of some softer songs as you'd expect from manchester orchestra 
One that I'm not sure that I love is Telepath, which was one of the lead singles as well. It kind of edges on like Lumineers-esque cheesiness at points. It has these very big like backing vocals with lots of reverb on them. And I don't know, it, it just feels a bit too cheesy. And I feel like you could have kept those elements in, but if they just did something a bit more unusual with them, it would have worked a lot better. Um, after that point, though, I think um, we get towards some of the best songs on the album. Um, I noted that the track Dinosaur has some really cool drum sound. It's kind of a slower track, so it has this kind of slow electronic drum beat, which I think works really well and is something very different for the band. And then particularly the last two tracks, uh, the first of which is called Way Back. And it's this really um, like sweet song about kind of moving on through grief. And it, it doesn't kind of pretend that the grief is going to go away, but it's about um, kind of keeping on living while having kind of this cross to bear and, and having this person gone. Um, and that really hit me quite hard and then the final track is called the internet and it has i think one of the the best metaphors i've heard in a while where they they talk about like the the whole kind of concept of the the song is about like uh losing a loved one and it being like losing the internet where like if you just didn't have the internet one day like your whole life would be so different and there'd be this huge void of just stuff that like you're so used to and is ingrained in you that you just don't have anymore. And I think like it, it's a really unique thing that you know when you hear something and you're like, I can't believe no one's thought of that before. I, I feel like I had that moment with this. So yeah. Overall, I'm not sure I'm gonna like it as much as a black mile to the surface. I'm not it's hard to tell a day on, but my initial impression is that it's a very differently orientated record. It's very specifically looking at grief, which is um, was touched on in the last album, but wasn't a major theme. Um, but yeah, in the in the sound, it, it's maybe more orientated for the live performance, which I think is where a lot of these songs are really going to shine. So yeah, that's uh, The Million Masks of God. If you're a Manchester Orchestra fan, definitely worth a listen. If you like indie rock in general, I think it's also still worth a listen. Um, so yeah, basically listen to the album. <laughs> you you will probably enjoy it. Yeah, I listened to the first, I think, three songs, and I, I actually really enjoyed them. I really like the sound. Um, I didn't get the themes, um, only going three songs in, but now you mention them, I'm definitely going to listen to the rest of them because, I mean, some of the themes have happened in my life and I feel like I might be able to relate to it a bit. And yeah, getting through all the 11 tracks will be something I'm, that's on my homework list. <laughs> it is a really good point though, when artists can be like that open to, you know, put those kind of feelings and those emotions and those experiences on tape. That could be a really big thing. It might not be the biggest like album of the year, but it could be the most impactful for a lot of people. Cool. I do feel like 
I've been I've brought up a lot of criticisms of this album, but I do want to be clear that this is through like this is a band I really love, uh, and that I'm kind of picking things out that maybe I didn't like so much on first li- <laughs> on first listen. Um, but ultimately, like the album overall is really good and stands above a lot of indie rock i think it's just that because i'm such a big fan i'm gonna pick out like the small issues and (laughs) make a bigger deal out of them than you know maybe i would if this was just a band that i found and i hadn't heard anything else of them Mm. so that's the million masks of god by manchester orchestra next tom yes uh coral island by the coral their 10th studio album um I must admit, I'm not a connoisseur of The Coral. I remember In the Morning. That's still a fantastic, great little indie rock track. Uh, I listened to The Invisible Invasion, where that you know, came from. It's okay. Really nice little album. You know, um, sort of faux psychedelia indie rock. Really cool little stuff. Uh, I love that it's got this sort of innocent character to it. And that's what really drew me to this new album, Coral Island. There is a great innocence throughout all of this um, music. It doesn't feel pretentious. It's not trying to like pretend and be... Well, actually, I was going to say it's not pretending to be serious. It's not that. It's just it doesn't dress anything up. You know, it's just having a bit of fun. And, you know, it's just having this uh, vision for what they want to do. Coral Island, coincidentally... Um, it's a very interesting album because it does the one thing I want albums to do more and add in a little bit of a narrative. Uh, the opening track to it is a um, narrative introduction to this resort, Coral Island, where no one grows up and no one grows old. And it's kind of this sort of timeless uh, seaside town where things happen. The narration for that was done by the grandfather of James and Ian Skelly, two of the members of the band, which I thought just thought, that's brilliant. All right, I'm I'm already sold on this. It was it's like a minute long introduction, and we're off. You know, uh, all of the tracks are kind of. If you've heard the choral before and you know them from in the morning, this is not going to feel too alien. All right, this is all very sort of, again, faux psychedelia, um, sort of folk rock. It's really really nice. It's really sweet and upbeat. It's not particularly dramatic and it's not particularly groundbreaking, but it's really really fun and easy to listen to. Um, a couple of tracks that stood out for me straight away. Uh, Lover Undiscovered is track two, so it's the first proper song on the album. Again, that really sets the tone for what we're doing here. And then the track immediately after that was uh, Change Your Mind, which again was one that stood out to me, probably because more than anything, it's just the first one, the first track listing, really. Um, I didn't see a song that was over four minutes in length. They're all, uh, they've got that kind of classic vibe, that kind of classic uh, three minutes, 30 pop song vibe to them you know again there is no uh like big dramatic um you know uh what would you call them overtures or anything like that um but there are little interspersals like every sort of like what five or six tracks you will get like a little um, narrative interruption with a little bit more context of Coraline and what it's about. They don't describe it as a concept album. I think they call it a theme album or a thematic album. And I think that's quite a good description of it. It's not like um, 
all of these songs link together. I think their concept for the album was, you know, again, had this idea of this, 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 this seaside resort where all of these stories and all of these songs could play out, but not in a narrative one after the other. They can play out in narrative all around, you know, and they are all happening concurrently. And I think that's a really sweet sort of idea for an album. All I know, though, for certain, is that, you know, it's just good music. It's basic indie folk rock basis with um, acoustic guitars and some very nice light electrics and some bass and some drums with occasionally an organ or a glockenspiel or some alternative percussion. And you just see these little elements crop up here and there. And it's just it's just good. It's just good fun. Um, let me see. Was there anything else I really wanted to bring up here? Um, there were a couple of moments where I thought this is really leaning in heavily to... Um, Rock Heritage and Rock Legacy. There's one track which took me by surprise. Take Me Back to the Summertime. I think it's like track 17. Um, and it was very weird. There was something in the melody lines and the chord changes where like, you know, uh, where like Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses in the chorus met that song um, that um, He-Man and Defenders of the Universe sung uh, in that meme, that Heya meme. I can't remember what it is now, but it's just like, I heard this in Cork Secrets and I just thought, this feels really weird, but I'm also with this. I'd never thought these two things could collide in that way. Um, just listen to it and you might be able to hear what I'm te- hearing there. Maybe I'm just making it up and it makes no sense at all. Um, but that was a lovely track. Problems. This is a double A sign album. It is absolutely massive. It's running like, what, 56 minutes or something like that? It's just, it's, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to listen to it for this long. I love it, but it's really leaning itself to traveling. If you've got two or three hours where you just need to just sit down and do something, this is something to, I can really imagine this you know, being like a sort of 2021 version of, you know, the CD in the car and you just pop it in for the journey. I really see it as that kind of album, which seems a bit odd, but also it seems fitting. It's of its um, time and it doesn't pretend to be anything else. It's not being pretentious and saying, you know, uh, you know, this should be popular, it should be interesting. It's not. It's just an al- It's just an artist that is now in its 10th album doing what they do best. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. I wish it was a bit shorter, but even in spite of that, this could be a contender for my album of the year. I want to listen to it. I want to get to know it better, but honestly, I really enjoyed it. It's just rock music that was not stuck up its own ass. I really, really appreciated that. I really liked that. Um, And I thoroughly recommend it. Coral Island by The Coral. Let's have a look ahead now to what's coming out this week. First up, Squid's new album is finally coming out. It's called Bright Green Field. It's their debut album. It comes off the back of an EPE and a bunch of singles. Uh, Squid are, I think, going to be one of the best new British bands out in recent time. Um Also, a side note, you can pre-order it for £5 from their website, and you can get it in any quality you want up to high-res, if you particularly care about high-res. I really like this trend, actually, because Bicep was doing it as well in like the first week after their album came out, where they sold the album for £5, to presumably to get them up the charts a bit. And I think £5, for me at least, is like a, if I quite like the band, I'm pretty happy to just throw the 
money down and take it. Whereas when you get up to like £10, I start to think, okay, do I really want the album? If I'm going to spend the, that kind of money on it anyway, do I want a physical copy? So yeah, £5 is very much for me a yeah, immediate thoughtless buy. So £5, I guess that's for like a digital access. Does that give you, is it available free? Is it going to be like distributed to Spotify or is this the only way to access it? Oh yeah, it's going, it's going to be on streaming services as well. Oh, but you can buy uh, it if you want. They're signed to Warp Rep Records, but yeah, this is just an additional purchase option, essentially. Sweet, I'm down for that. But yeah, the singles have been great. They just released a, uh, a live session on Apple Music. If you have Apple Music, you can check out some alternate versions of some of the tracks from the album too. Nice, really cool. excited for that one. Next up, India Jordan has a new EP coming out. It's called Watch Out. If you don't know in India Jordan, they're kind of an up-and-coming dance producer from the UK. They focus on kind of emotional club music. So there's uh, lots of kind of vocal samples. Um, in a way, it kind of makes me think of the field, but not directly. Like, the sound is a lot more club-oriented. Orientated. Um, but yeah, that's one to check out. Next up, Ice Age has a new album coming out. It's called Seek Shelter. Um, if you like post-punk, this is probably one to check out. Um, I've enjoyed some of the singles so far. Next up, Walter Etc. has a new album coming out. It's called There There. They're kind of like a more folky indie rock band. I've enjoyed some of their stuff in the past, but I'm not a massive fan, so... If you're into that stuff, I'd check it out. But it it's, you know, in a, in a week with other releases that I'm really looking forward to, I don't think it's one I'm probably going to get to. Next up, Stars Hollow has their debut album coming out. It's called I Want to Live My Life. They're an American emo band. Um, so that's another one. And then <laughs> I have a few additional ones that I'm probably less interested in, but I thought I'd include for other people's sake. Weezer's new album, Van Weezer, is coming out. This has been uh, in the works for a while. It'll be their second album this year. Um, I haven't particularly enjoyed any Weezer album since Pacific Daydream, and I appreciate that I like that album a lot because it was just kind of bad and cheesy. So I don't think they've really had it. Well, in fairness, the one from earlier this year had some interesting elements, but I haven't like really enjoyed a Weezer album properly since White in 2016. And it feels like they're just kind of playing for the Fortnite crowd now for some reason. So, you know, if Rivers Cuomo can be a big rock star in 2021, then anything's possible. Um, a few other releases coming out. Fickle Friends have a new EP coming out. It's called Weird Years Season 2. I liked some of the stuff off their debut album. I thought it was like fun summer music. So uh, maybe this will have some more of that. And then just for Jess, I included the new Mighty Mighty Boss Tones album, When God Was Great. That's coming out this week. So you can check that out. Nice. Thank you. And that's all of the releases that I've noted anyway that are coming out this week. So that's the end of our show. Thank you for listening. It's been good to be back. Feels it's nice. good to have you back good as well. Good to have well. you back. Definitely. Thanks. Um, 
Follow us on Twitter at Unmuted Weekly. If you use Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave us a review on there. It would really help us out. Um, also, if you don't want to write anything, you can just leave a rating on there. That would also be helpful. Cool. That's it. Cold ending. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. There we go. Ugh.